That was such a lovely job. You guys did a lovely job. I feel like I don't even need to say anything, but that's okay. We will keep going. Welcome to Modern Worship. I am Haley, as Stephanie said, and I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. And welcome to the holiday season. We're here. It's time for all of the holidays. Now, has anyone put up a Christmas tree at their house? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Just keep your hands down. I am a Thanksgiving purist, and I think we should celebrate Thanksgiving, and then we should celebrate uh, Christmas. But, but don't worry. That's okay. I like Christmas. I'm not like a terrible person who doesn't have a heart. I, I like Christmas. I love Christmas. One of my favorite parts is that at Christmas, we get a lot of really beautiful moments. Um, I usually find myself during Christmas time with a moment that just strikes me um, as being magical or holy or both, just a moment that is overwhelming. For me, often it is in a space where we are at a Christmas Eve service and we all have candles and we're singing together and that moment is just so beautiful, I'm struck by it. Now, I love Thanksgiving, so I always hope for moments like that at Thanksgiving time, a moment that is just lovely and beautiful, where I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for all the things that I have, and they don't always come. I often think that it might come as we are gathered around the table about to eat our Thanksgiving meal, and I think that I will uh, stop to reflect and thank God, but usually I'm just thinking about pie uh, and not thankfulness. And then sometimes I think that it's before we eat, whenever we gather together as a family to pray, to be thankful and reflective. But then here recently, I have been getting asked to do the prayers at family holidays, not because I went to seminary, but because I'm a short prayer. So then I just want to get done and get to the pie part. But I think that maybe this concept of Thanksgiving as a beautiful and overwhelming moment may not be the correct approach. We'll come back to that. Today, our scripture reading is from the chapter, or from chapter 65 of Isaiah, and we will read together verse 17 through 25. Look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. Past events won't be remembered. They won't come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating, because I'm creating Jerusalem as a joy and her people as a source of gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad about my people. No one will ever hear the sound of weeping or crying in it again. No more will babies live only a few days or the old fail to live out their days. The one who dies at a hundred will be like a young person, and the one falling short of a hundred will seem cursed. They will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They won't build for others to live in, nor plant for others to eat. Like the days of a tree will be the days of my people. My chosen will make full use of their handiwork. They won't labor in vain, nor bear children to a world of horrors, because they will be people blessed by the Lord." They, along with all of their descendants, before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. Wolf and lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, 
but the snake, its food will be dust. They won't hurt or destroy at any place on my holy mountain, says the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. So our book of Isaiah, the scholars divide into three parts. So one is often called first Isaiah and then second Isaiah. And then what we just read together is from what is called third Isaiah. It's the second to last chapter in the book of Isaiah, which is 66 chapters long. So it's not really short. And this chapter comes to us after the people, the Israelites, have been taken captive and they have been living in Babylon for a number of years. And then there was a first exodus where people came back home and a second exodus. And so now the Israelites are back in the land of Judah and reassimilation has been difficult. It's been hard to come back to a life that you've left and things are not really going that well. In the chapter before the one I just read to you, then the writers say, uh, God, you've forgotten us. You've hidden yourself from us. They're crying out to God and they feel like God is nowhere to be found. And then we get the chapter that I just read to you, which is lovely and beautiful and full of all of these promises that God is making about new heavens and a new earth and the good things that are to come. We see God quoting God's self a lot. We see God making promises about things that are, have been other places in the book of Isaiah. God's reliving some of those themes that have been other places. It's just riddled with context. The verse at the end that talks about um, the ox eating hay, and then it talks about a serpent, that's in reference to Genesis 3 with our Adam and Eve story, whenever we had the serpent in the garden. And even there's a part about a tree of life in the garden that's referencing our story of Adam and Eve. God is creating a new creation God is telling the people of Israel, I'm creating something new, but it's not without context. I'm creating something new in front of the backdrop of the past. Let's revisit this uh, part about the tree in verse 22. Or I'm going to start at 21 and then we'll go to 22. They will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They won't build for others to live in nor plant for others to eat. Like the days of a tree will be the days of my people. My chosen will make full use of their handiwork. So my family ranches. They have cattle and land and run their cattle on their land. And they own a small portion of land, but most of the land that they use for cattle uh, is leased. And so sometimes if you have a one-year lease on a piece of land, then you want to make sure that you, you fully utilize that investment. So you want to make sure you have a lot of cattle on that land to eat the amount of grass that needs to be taken care of in that period of time. And then other times you have a five-year lease or you have a 10-year lease. And in those instances, if you're experiencing a drought or there's not enough rain, then you're not going to fully graze that pasture. You're going to leave some for the next year. You're going to make sure that you don't overgraze. You're going to make sure that you're good, a good steward of that land. 
And the same goes for fences. If you have a lease for 10 years, you're probably going to want really good fences and you're gonna spend a lot of time and hard work in the sun to make sure you have good fences for that piece of property. Just like this verse, if you build a house and you want to be able to live in it and enjoy it, how do you care for it? You care for it pretty well. The way that you treat an apartment you're gonna live in one year and the house you wanna live in for 40 years is somewhat different. The verses here, God is promising the people that they're going to get to enjoy the work of their own hands. That in the new heaven and the new earth, you're going to get to enjoy the things that you've helped to create. And I think that's an appealing promise because it's not exactly how the world works. Oftentimes we build things that we don't get to see until they're finished. We don't get to uh, help teach a curriculum that we helped to develop. You're at a new school and someone else is teaching the thing that you wrote. Maybe you implemented all of these wonderful systems and then they hired someone new and you're not there anymore. Maybe you spent 18 to 20 years raising a wonderful child that's just lovely and a delight to be around. And then they move out and someone else gets to enjoy all that hard work that you put into them. And then I think about my friends who are really lovely and wonderful people. And I didn't stay up all night whenever they were crying. Someone else did that work and now I get to enjoy them being a lovely person. I teach curriculum that I didn't write, and I get to stand here on the stage preaching, and it's par for the course because another young woman fills this spot every Sunday. There are things that we get to enjoy that we didn't build. So maybe gratefulness isn't a moment that's overwhelming where you feel so thankful, but it's a practice of remembering who built the house that you live in. Who planted the things that you now get to reap the benefit of? Maybe it's remembering whose handiwork you enjoy. An author and researcher who's very famous, we'll call her our friend Brene Brown, she wrote a book, The Gift of Imperfection, and she discusses gratitude. And when she was researching gratitude, she says that she was looking for people who were living wholeheartedly. And whenever those people talked about gratitude, there was a whole bunch of verbs happening. She says it's not an attitude of gratitude necessarily, but it's a practice. Gratitude is a thing that we do. And that gratitude is context specific. None of us are where we are today on our own. And because of that, we have actions to take. We might need to journal or to make calls or to write cards to do something to remember those who built the houses we live in. May we go forth today and may our gratitude be an active thing that we get to participate in. Amen.